0: Let's stand and ask the Lord's blessing on our study this evening. Mm -hmm. Father in heaven, we give thee praise and thanksgiving for uh, calling us into thy marvelous grace to give to us uh, hope in this life, hope in the life to come. A hope that fades not away for that hope is in thee the unchangeable God in Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday uh, today and forever we pray father that thou would bless this time of study and as we continue to focus on the unity of Christ's visible Church and divisions within the church uh, guide and direct our thoughts uh, that uh, what we say how we think lord every thought would be brought into captivity to christ we ask lord all of these petitions through christ our savior amen So let's consider John 17, and uh, we'll read verses 20 through 23. We began last time to talk about the unity uh, of the church, and we'll review that a little bit, but then we want to focus upon uh, the remainder of the study this evening, uh, divisions within the visible church. John 17, verses 20 through 23. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and has loved them as thou has loved me. As we've seen in recent studies, Lord Jesus in John 17 prays for his disciples and we're included among those for whom the Lord is praying concerning the following necessary blessings which Jesus purchased for us when he died upon the cross. He purchased for us our preservation from evil, He purchased for us our sanctification in being conformed to the image of Christ. He purchased for his church uh, our unification, both the spiritual unity and a visible unity he purchased when he died upon the cross. And finally, which we have not gotten to this one, we will, God willing, next time, Uh, our glorification uh, with him in heaven. We began considering Christ's prayer for unification in our last study, and we noted that there is a spiritual unity that we share with all true believers in Jesus Christ, which is based upon uh, our union with Jesus Christ by faith alone. But spiritual unity uh, among all true believers throughout the world, that oneness, uh, is not the uh, end and the goal that Jesus prays for because the kind of unity that he is praying for is something that's seen. It's something that is visible. It's something that is observed. Like Again, a, a mere spiritual unity is not observable, but a visible unity is. And so he prays that his church, his people, would be one in such a way that the world, as they observe and see our unity, one with another throughout the world, that they would be led to be convinced that the Father has sent the Son. And as he says uh, in John 17, uh, verse 23, uh, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. That has to be observed in the church. It's not simply that we just Uh, say well we're one in Christ and yet you know we don't show and demonstrate that that's not going to have any effect upon the world uh, only that which they can see so the Lord Jesus is praying for that kind of observable unity this is a unity in faith or doctrine and in love in Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 1 through 6, we read the following. Again, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation, that is the calling, wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Notice now what he says. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this isn't simply a spiritual unity, because he goes on to say, there is one body, that is one one church, uh, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, that is one doctrine, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. So again, we see this as a visible unity because we're talking, again, one faith, that which we believe in common, and one baptism. Uh, That's certainly... Uh, an outward expression of that unity that we have in Christ and uh, which we share with one another and so there's a this unity in doctrine worship church government as well as a unity in love in the way we care for one another uh, both of those are needed if there is to be unity as we've noted in the previous study It's not either-or, you know, that we're going to be doctrinally faithful or love one another. It is both-and. And And in Ephesians chapter 4, where we were just reading, uh, note also that the gift of the ministry uh, to the visible church by the Lord Jesus is given for that very purpose, to promote unity, not division. He gave the ministry to the church to promote unity uh, within the church in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, that is, a complete, mature man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So the ministry is given uh, to promote the unity in the faith in the bonds of love as well. We also established in our previous study that Christ's prayer that a visible unity would be realized in his visible church uh, is likewise taught in other places in the Bible, in the New Testament. We cited 1 Corinthians 1.10 that this this is again God's will this visible unity. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So again, the will of God is that there be no divisions. Is not simply talking about Um, relational conflicts within the church, though that's included, but divisions that occur as well due to uh, doctrine, due to the faith, uh, due to practices in worship and church government, that all of those are contrary uh, to the will of God uh, and the will of Christ and Jesus and his prayer. What he was praying for is that visible unity, which will be realized none of Christ's prayers fall to the ground none of Christ's prayers uh, are not realized all of his prayers because he prays according to the will of God will be realized so we we know that this is going to happen uh, sometime here upon the earth even before we're glorified in heaven Thus, to break this unity for which Jesus has prayed, and which the apostles said we are to endeavor, to maintain, and which is the will of God, as we've noted, to break that unity is not um, an unimportant matter. To break that unity is not something minor. Uh, It's not something that the Lord considers to be... um, Uh, Just a little uh, issue, don't worry about it, uh, kind of an issue. Um, No, uh, the Lord says in Romans 16, 17 through the Apostle Paul, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Those who bring division and doctrine and worship and government of the church are to be marked, they're to be noted, uh, and uh, they're to be avoided um, if they bring divisions within Christ's church. Again, that's not, those are not my words, those are the words of the Apostle Paul. I ask you, were there different denominations of Christian churches established by the apostles that believed different doctrines, that practiced different practices in worship, uh, that uh, divided the church at that time, and yet all of them being accepted by the apostles as you know faithful churches, did the did the apostles did the Lord Jesus did they recognize that there could exist those divisions within the church so that the church is divided over different doctrines and practices of worship. And yet the apostles say, no problem. Uh, let's just get together. Uh, let's pretend as if you know these divisions don't uh, exist in doctrine and, and worship and church government. No, uh, they address those divisions. They address those um, matters of doctrine. And worship and church government they 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 directed in their letters uh, uh, these issues you know whatever epistle you're reading you can see at various points where they're addressing uh, these divisions that uh, that are arising even at that time in the Apostolic Church and they're not accepting the divisions they're not tolerating the, the divisions within Christ's church. So I think that it's very important we understand um, that matter. We have to ask ourselves, why is it so acceptable, these divisions within Christ's church today then? Uh, why uh, is it no big deal, as it were, to so many christians and christian churches they hardly give a second thought it seems to the divisions within christ's church you see if we do not see this as a serious matter uh, to the lord jesus then it's not going to be a serious matter to us if we understand it's a serious matter to jesus then we're going to Likewise, take it seriously. And so as we look around us, there are so many divisions within the visible church today. It would, again, be hard to count the number of different denominations. Uh, I'm sure there are those who do know a more precise number or at least close to the number of divisions and denominations within the visible church but to talk about a visible unity in doctrine worship and church government almost seems like to to most uh christians probably like a fairy tale like a fable um like you know wishing upon you know a star or something like that 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 it's Uh, that it's just never going to happen but that's not what again the bible teaches i believe jesus as i said prayed for that unity it will come you see the enemy enemy of our soul the enemy of the church uh, the devil wants us to believe that it is a fairy tale that it's never going to happen that's exactly what he wants us to believe based upon what we observe but we don't walk by what we observe we don't walk by what we feel we walk by faith uh in what god has revealed in his word and he said that this will uh yet come to pass where there is a a blessed and visible unity in his church uh throughout the world but uh, jesus prayed for it so should we uh we should uh I'm, we pray for that on the Lord's Day uh, for that blessed unity and within his church each Lord's Day it's it's uh, very much a part of the pastoral prayer it's something we ought to be praying for throughout the week as well uh, each of us in our families praying for that visible unity uh, within Christ's Church ultimately our hope is not in ourselves right Um, To bring about this visible unity. None of us can uh, in ourselves and by our own strength endeavors um, bring that to pass Um, The Lord must bring it to pass, but he's going to use us uh, Believers not just meaning us with within our church, but uh, he's going to use believers, he's going to stir up the hearts of Christians and believers in Jesus Christ uh, to bring about uh, this, this unity. It will be accomplished, I think, as Paul says, uh, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and all this, then all Israel, or, uh, or thus all Israel shall be saved in romans 11 verses 25 through 26 so at that time um, uh, there will be uh, a blessed unity and uniformity uh, amongst god's people and thus because uh, that will occur that will happen where the knowledge of god will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea uh, where in the new covenant we will not need again each one uh, to, uh, to be taught that God will give us, uh, that we will continue to have teachers, that we will continue to have ministers, God will write his truth uh, upon the hearts of his people so that, again, there will be uh, within his people, his church, a, a desire, a pursuit of the truth and coming to the same knowledge of the truth um, as we you know, have recorded also for us, and we'll talk about it in a moment, um, uh, in history, common confessions of faith and creeds and catechisms and directories for worship and covenants. So let's not, just because it seems to us, you know, as we observe all of the de- denominations and all the divisions presently within Christ church, Uh, Let's not be like the children of Israel of old. Remember, in the wilderness, and uh, uh, there they are, millions of them in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness. And, uh, you know, they say something like, uh, Can God uh, provide a table for us with food on it here in the wilderness? They they uh, tempted God and basically implying God can't take care of us. God can't feed millions of us where there's no food, where there are no trees, where there's no uh, flowing water. Uh, God can't provide for us. And uh, again, that was viewed by God to be a very serious sin on the part of Israel to limit him uh, in what he is able to do we have to be careful we don't limit him in our daily lives uh with the problems needs uh, that we have that we don't limit him but that we uh, acknowledge he is able to meet all of our needs likewise with regard to the unity of the church um, we don't limit god he's able to bring about if he said he's going to if jesus prayed for it he will do it um um, and so our, our thinking uh, should not be thus at the present time uh, that uh, let's just continue uh, to um, promote denominationalism, promote this division within the, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, but rather our, our uh, outlook should be in light of what the Lord is going to accomplish, that unity that we pray for and we strive and we endeavor that unity now amongst um, Christ's church, visible church. In verses 22 through 23, uh, we looked at last week, 20 and 21, John 17, 20 and 21, but verses 22 and 23, again, are um essentially saying very similar things as what Jesus prayed for in verses 20 and 21 I'm not really going to elaborate on on that he's praying for visible un- unity in the truth and in love just as he prayed for in the previous two verses uh, so I'm just going to move on to a couple of questions in the remainder of the of the Bible study this this evening. So there's two questions I'd like to cover um, as we uh, continue in our Bible study this evening. First question is this. How do we discover who has caused sinful divisions uh, within Christ's visible church? And second question, what should we do about the sinful divisions within Christ's visible church? First question how do we discover who has caused sinful divisions in the visible church perhaps it was easier in some respects back in the apostolic period when the apostles were still living and they were able to communicate authoritatively uh, and infallibly what the you know the faithful doctrine of the church is and to expound that and and to say those, you know, who disagree with us are causing division. If uh, Or those who are in your church who do not follow, as we read in Romans 16:17, If they depart from the doctrine which we have taught you, then uh, avoid them. Um, avoid them. So perhaps when you had apostles actually living, uh, to be able to make those distinctions and, and to... Say that is causing a division, this is causing a schism uh, within Christ's church, it's contrary to the doctrine we have taught you. Um, And but again, I don't think the Lord, then after the apostolic period, simply says it's a free for all from this point on. Um, um, You know, everybody, you basically do whatever you think is right in your own eyes. I don't think that that's the the view we ought to take. If that was if that was the teaching of Christ and the apostles, then we ought to have some way to be able to determine likewise who are those in presently in history who have brought division within the church of Jesus Christ, the visible church of Christ. Well, again, the the obvious answer, and then we'll look at, at um, break that down a little bit. But the obvious answer as to who causes divisions within uh, sinful divisions within the visible church are those who depart from the truth. Um, that that's you know biblical truth. Those who who uh, foster new doctrines or practices in worship contrary. Uh, to what we find in in the Word of God, uh, are bringing division uh, within Christ's church. But in history, how do we, again, we don't have uh, apostles uh, living, breathing. uh, We have their word. We have their teaching. We have their instruction. But we don't have living, breathing apostles presently to be able to make those Determinations for us. So, how do we how do we discern who has brought uh, sinful divisions within the church? Well, I, I submit to you that um, that the Lord has given to us a way to be able to discern that. In Second Timothy 1.13, the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say merely hold the sound words which you've heard from me. Hold the form of sound words. The form of sound words would be some type of a summary of the sound words. The form of sound words would be, again, I would liken it to a confession of faith. Uh, that would be a form of sound words. The sound words themselves would be the actual words uh, that come from the apostles, whereas the form of sound words. Would be something that uh, is uh, summarizes is a structure of some kind uh, in which the sound words can be articulated and and believed and summarized. Uh, so I, I believe that you know that that would be helpful uh, in our understanding that. We may not have the apostles, but we can have the form of sound words. We can have confessions of faith that have been uh, written uh, by very godly, knowledgeable um, men of God in times past that were used to both identify heresies and errors and were also identified or written in order to identify those uh, who walk in unity together as a form of sound words. And so faithful confessions of faith, creeds, catechisms, directories for worship and church government, covenants, uh, these are all Um, given by the Lord, I believe, to the church, and they, again, perhaps the earliest creed was the Apostles' Creed uh, that goes back um, subsequent to the the closing of the canon, but nevertheless very early uh, creed of the the church. then again, as heresies arose historically, the church came together to address those heresies and to say, this is not what the church believes. This is what the scripture teaches and the church adheres to this, contrary to these errors and these heresies that are, that are arising with regard to the Trinity, with regard to the deity of Jesus Christ. In the early uh, centuries uh, of the of the church, and so um, these subordinate standards, and they are subordinate to the Word of God. They're they're not. We do not and ought not to place them. They are a form of sound words. They're not the sound words. The Scripture itself, which is the only infallible rule of faith and practice subordinate standards are a rule, but not an infallible rule. Uh, They are a rule that we may use for the purpose of unity, for the purpose of identifying errors. Um, And the church historically has always used um, creeds and confessions for that purpose. Otherwise, I submit to you that if we don't have uh, these statements of faith and what the Bible teaches, and again, fallible statements, um, in other words, no one's saying it's impossible for these statements of faith uh, to err. We're we're saying, yeah, they're written by fallible men, uh, but we believe that those represent what is faithful and true uh, and what is agreeable to God's Word. Therefore, we can rally around those particular, particular um, statements of faith because we believe they are agreeable to God's Word. You see, if we don't have those types of um, standards subsequent to the time of the apostles, the truth basically comes to mean nothing uh, because it, the truth is so stretched to include any group uh, that any group says or teaches or practices to include anything that they say the Bible uh, teaches so that basically the truth is watered down uh, that the Lord gave to us because it becomes stretched so thin uh, rather than actually identifying uh, th- what the Lord would have us to believe, it-, it becomes basically a tent so large that anybody who says we believe the Bible um, can identify with with you know the, the visible church and can um, can bring about you know such division and error. Uh, on the basis of those uh, errors Uh, we have to have again for the sake of biblical unity as the Apostles promoted it we have to have uh, subordinate standards that that uh, guide and lead us uh, in this unity and identify various errors the biblical tool that was used to promote unity Uh, among the uh, churches uh, of the Reformation period and subsequent uh, periods of time shortly thereafter uh, was covenanting. Covenanting together as churches and as nations that we together believe God's truth to say this and not to say that. Um, And the Solemn League and Covenant, which again is a covenant that we in our church believe is a faithful, godly covenant, was used for that purpose, to bring about unity of the faith. That we covenanted one with another, our forefathers covenanted one with another and included us as their posterity uh, to... uh, To embrace a common confession of faith, catechisms, directories for worship, and again, all bound together by this covenant that united the churches of England, Ireland, and Scotland, the nations of England, Ireland, and Scotland together uh, in a blessed unity and uniformity together. That was the purpose was to promote unity um, within Christ's church to uh, again say we take this seriously we take unity seriously we take divisions within Christ's church seriously therefore we bind ourselves before God to uphold these common standards that we all embrace together The Church of Scotland uh, is that church that we especially uh, identify ourselves with uh, in the Reformed Presbyterian North America, the RPNA. Uh, We understand uh, by way of common confession at that time that the Church of Scotland um, in the Second Reformation period from approximately 1638 Uh, to 1650 especially during those years attained uh, the highest degree of reformation other reformed churches and nations in the world at that time acknowledged scotland as well to and the church of scotland to be um, that church which reached the highest degree of reformation uh, purity and doctrine worship government um, discipline, and again, we uh, being that being kind of the the source or the uh, the church from which, uh, especially a system of church government called Presbyterianism, um, which we believe is biblical church government. Again, uh, that was where um, you know the fountain. From which uh, biblical Presbyterianism was was systematized, was articulated, was formed into directories. We identify ourselves with that particular faithful church. Um, that church came out of the, the you know the Protestant Reformation, and incidentally, uh, the Protestant Reformation. When we talk about reformed. Um, that that implies that um, the church the the reformation churches didn't think that they were starting a brand new church they were reforming the church that had become corrupt they didn't say we're going to start a brand new church uh, like you know today uh, uh, you know a new church starts on 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 every corner as it were you know uh, they think that they're starting a new church Dear ones, um, that's not what we ought to be seeking to do, is to start new churches. We need to see that we are a continuation of that faithful church that was reformed from the Roman Catholic Church, from the Greek Orthodox Church, from the churches of the Middle Ages, where there was departure uh, from uh, the truth, which the Lord gave to his people uh, through the apostles and which was practiced initially, but began to see, again, divisions uh, within the church, departures from the truth. But nevertheless, again, uh, we need to understand um, that we're not a brand new church. Uh, we're a continuation we need to think in terms of this is not a brand new church even though we may have uh, come to these conclusions uh, a number of years ago that we need to take this type of a stance but we at that point when we began to understand the nature of the church and that uh, we don't want to be a part of a division with the church. We want to understand we're a continuation of the church. Uh, and, and that's a, an entirely different way of thinking. Because the, the more we think in terms of this is a new church, and we started this point, the more we're talking about division after division after division. But if we understand, no, we're not a new church we are a continuation of the of the church of scotland which came out of the reformation which reformed brought reformation uh from out of the roman catholic church which corrupted that um true doctrine and that true worship that uh was practiced in the church before the roman catholic church corrupted it and so we, we are trying to identify ourselves with Christ's church throughout the ages. And, and uh, again, even during the Roman Catholic period of time, uh, there was always a faithful church, even though it may appear to have been very small and insignificant even during that period of time of corruption. There was always a faithful church. The Lord never leaves Himself without a faithful church uh, upon the earth no matter how small it may be So that's a basic understanding. We we're not a brand new church. We are a continuation of, of Christ's faithful church uh, And we adhere to these particular standards which were established at that time to rally Christ's church uh, around the same doctrine, worship, and, and church government. So, churches that have departed from that covenanted unity that we find in the solemn leading covenant, and the confession of faith, catechisms, directories, um, those are the churches that have divided Christ's visible church. They've divided Christ's visible church and they should return to that covenanted unity and uniformity. So, uh, that's again uh, how we identify, I believe, those churches that have brought sinful division, those who have departed from that epic period of time in Reformation, that God brought and blessed, those who have departed from that have brought disunity, have brought division. Those who are adhering to that, those small they may be, are the ones that are seeking to promote unity within Christ's visible Church. And it's important that we understand that it's not the... It's not the churches that have the most, by way of uh, people in their denominations, that determine who is the um, church that is promoting unity as opposed to the church that is promoting disunity. Because even the smaller group of people can be, as throughout the period of the Roman Catholic Church, when it when it gained such power, it was not again the Roman Catholic Church that promoted actually the unity of Christ Church, but those who did not go along with the corruption within the Roman Catholic Church. Small as they may have been, they were the ones who were promoting the Waldenses, for example, uh, one group of of uh, uh, people that go back quite a long time that. Protested against the corruptions, they did not uh, again unite with the Roman Catholic Church. They were small in comparison to the Roman Catholic Church, and yet they were the faithful Church. They were not the ones brought disunity. Uh, it was the, it was the Church of Rome that brought disunity. Samuel Rutherford, uh, in Do Right of Presbyteries, <clears throat> he says this: When the greatest part of a church maketh defection from the truth. So the majority make defection from the truth. The lesser part, that is the minority remaining sound, the greatest part, the majority, is the church of separatists. Not the minority who remain faithful and who say, we're not gonna be moved from that which the Lord has given to us by way of faithful confessions and creeds. It's the majority. He says, the best though fewest, that is the minority, is the church, is the faithful church. So the second question, we'll try to cover this in the remaining time we have. The second question is, what should we do about the sinful divisions in the visible church? As I said first of all we've got to take them seriously um, and not accept uh, or treat lightly divisions so we have to mentally adopt that understanding from the very outset this is not uh, an insignificant minor uh, secondary type of an issue this is important Jesus prayed that his church would be one The, the Apostles promoted that in their teaching But at the same time, uh, we should not write off uh, churches that have brought division within Christ's visible church. We should not write them off as no churches at all. Uh, We should not write Christians within those churches as no Christians at all. And we shouldn't write off those ministers of those churches as no ministers at all. But rather we should take, I believe, the the perspective that these churches have indeed, and the ministers of those churches, have indeed divided the visible church of Christ by way of their departure from the faithful and pure church of Scotland uh, and which sought to walk, which I believe uh, as we've you know, noted historically, uh, did walk uh, in uh, faithfulness, and in truth. Um, in Philippians 3.16, perhaps I should have mentioned this verse under the, uh, under the uh, first question, but let me, let me give this to you, uh, even if it's a little uh, late. Philippians 3.16 really gives us, I think, the principle that we are to use. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. So whatever in history uh, we have attained to that particular rule, and as we've used confessions, creeds, as being a means of uh, setting certain subordinate rules as to uh, what we ought to uh, believe and practice and, and uh, to walk according to that degree of reformation or corporate sanctification. For example, if you individually have reached a certain level of sanctification and growth in Christ in your own personal life, Uh, should you having reached that point disregard that and say "Uh, no big deal Uh, I'm just going to pretend as if I never reached that degree of sanctification in my life or should you use that as a rule and say I've reached this uh, degree of sanctification in my life now I want to grow uh, beyond that Uh, and Likewise, in the church, the church, as we look at the church throughout history, has reached a certain degree of sanctification or growth in understanding of the truth. And so the church shouldn't simply throw out the rule or the the degree to which the church has reached by way of sanctification, by way of knowledge and understanding of the truth, Uh, especially when that was used as a form of sound words, when that was used as uh, a uh, rule for unity, a subordinate rule, but a a rule for unity and to expose errors that are contrary to that. So I think the the Scripture uh, does give us you know, a a principle to follow. That which you've already attained, and we could say that with regard to the church historically, that to which the church has already attained, and I would, again, submit that the Church of Scotland was right there at the top by way of of, uh, reformation, degree of reformation. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing together. That is the way, I believe, we promote unity uh, within Christ's visible church. You know, every, every church has really a creed, whether they have a written creed. Every, every church has um, a statement of faith, even if it's not written. Uh, every church does uh, because uh, the minister, whether it's the minister that determines what the creed is uh, or whether it's, you know, the majority of people within the congregation or whether it's the the governing body uh, of that congregation or that church uh, and whether it's written or not, simply um, introduce something that the minister doesn't agree with and see if there's not a creed. Um, almost certainly if it's not something the minister agrees with believes that it's wrong say they're an Armenian church and you begin to promote calvinism within that church uh, you'll find out what the creed of the church is um, that it's clearly an arminian church or as opposed to a, a Cal, you know a calvinistic uh, type of a church or, if it's a church that you know, doesn't have a written creed, but they don't believe in infant baptism, they only baptize uh, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, um, uh, begin promoting infant baptism. And you'll find out pretty quickly uh, that they have a creed, even if it's not written down. And so, again, every church has a creed, um, whether it's written or not written. The only question is, uh, who writes the creed, and what is the creed? Uh, because everyone does, every church does. So again, to to look at our church, and we have confessions of faith, uh, we have catechisms, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, that are written. We're not hiding anything. Those who those who don't have written creeds, I believe, are hiding really what they believe. Um, Because, as I said, once you begin to disagree with the minister, the eldership, or the majority of the people there, you'll find out what the creed is. But uh, we want to know both what we believe, we want to teach our children what we believe is the truth, uh, and we want others to know that are out there, what we believe. We're not ashamed of what we believe. We're not trying to hide anything. We believe in a visible unity. That is, how can it be visible if we hide what we believe? There can only be visible unity when we all agree in the same confession of faith and catechisms and directories for worship and covenants. <clears throat> and so... Um, as i said what should we do about the sinful divisions well we can't accept them uh, but you know just say it's quite all right um we we have to pray first of all that the lord would would heal these divisions we have to love our brethren Uh, even if there is division within christ's church we don't uh, as a result of divisions um, say they're not Christians Um, as I said we don't say that the ministers are no ministers at all but are they uh, again churches and ministers that are uh, truly promoting the unity of Christ's church by way of adhering to those standards historically that have brought the church together Uh, at the time of the Second Reformation in Scotland, and England and Ireland, or are they dividing the church from um, those churches and those standards? Uh, If they are indeed dividing the church, if they are uh, not walking in conformity uh, to those standards, I submit to you that they are, whether they realize it or not, whether wittingly, they are... I believe, causing division. Those churches that walk, seek to walk, and understand unity, and are seeking to walk in conformity to those churches, to those standards at that time, because they don't believe we ought to start new churches, but we ought to continue the faithful church. Those are the churches that promote biblical unity and not dividing the church. We should seek, I believe, start with promoting unity. Start with those churches that call themselves Presbyterian, for example. Got to start somewhere. Start with churches that call themselves Presbyterian. And and they say we adhere to the Westminster Confession of Faith or a form of it. Um, We begin talking, you know, uh, and we, we, over the years, we've reached out to, obviously, uh, a number of, of people. We've had many opportunities to talk with people uh, in various Presbyterian churches. Uh, and the, the tool or the instrument I believe that we should use as a basis for our discussion about unity should be the Solemn League and Covenant. That should be the tool that we use. Um, organizations, parachurch organizations that seek to bring about unity with, within the Presbyterian churches, uh, say in the United States or in North America, uh, are not using today, are not using that as a basis for unity. Uh, and... Uh, Again, that's why it was written. It it binds us uh, as the posterity to use that as a basis for unity, to discuss how we are to be one visibly. So if we don't even begin there, which our forefathers used as the basis of unity, which is a very biblical and godly um, uh, covenant which gives to us, again, common confession, catechisms, directories for for worship and government, and follow those churches that adhered to the Reformation that was reached at that particular period of time because there were divisions very quickly after those documents. If we can track, again, what churches faithfully followed the Reformation reached at that time, and what churches did not, we can begin to sort out who divided the church and who, no matter how large or small the group was, um, that remained faithful, which uh, church and which group sought the unity of Christ church. We should pray for them and, as I said, love them as brethren, but even as brethren, even as brethren, we ought to understand that uh, the Lord says through Paul in Second Thessalonians three six that even with brethren that we ought to withdraw from those who walk disorderly in Second Thessalonians 3 6 now we command you brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us uh, so again um, we can we can consider you know other churches when we again the Christians in those churches, we can love them, we can pray for them, we can get together informally, uh, together uh, with uh, various Christians from other churches um, and that type of thing. But we ought not to ecclesiastically um, join with those uh, for worship uh, that are disorderly, that have brought divisions within the Church of Jesus Christ. If we, again, simply say um, no big deal about the divisions we can continue to worship with and and attend uh, the worship services and and other uh, services where um, ministers of those churches preside, uh, then again, I have to ask, are we really taking the Lord seriously that we're not to join with those who are causing division within Christ's church? Because if we are joining with those who are causing division within Christ's church, we're not treating the the division seriously. We're not taking it seriously. As the Lord Jesus prayed for the unity and Paul and the other apostles, they, they promoted unity and they said, Mark those who cause division. Withdraw from those who are di- di- walking disorderly. Doesn't mean we don't love them uh, at, uh, you know, very much. It doesn't mean that we aren't praying for them. It doesn't mean that we don't desire unity. We pray for it. But again, it must be a unity in which we are walking according to the standards. As Paul says in Philippians 3.16, the rule to which we have attained already, those confessional standards uh, and uh, those churches then subsequently that walked according to those those standards. We cannot approve of of sinful division uh, by silently attending churches or services where uh, the ordained Ministers a part of church, uh, that are a part of churches that have brought division within Christ church officiate. If we can, dear ones, occasionally join with them in their services. Uh, there's no justified reason why we should be separate from the churches. We should uh, be united with them as one church uh, if, we, uh, if we can occasionally attend. Uh, the ministers of those churches um, otherwise we're being con- completely inconsistent we can't say uh, about the church that is causing a division and yet attend the church as if it's no big deal that's a contradiction um, we can't we can't live we can't practice that way if we truly believe that uh, uh, churches have caused division and ministers of those churches ordained by these churches are perpetuating that division within Christ's church, then then we must take that division seriously and pray for work toward endeavor, unity on the basis of Scripture as our infallible rule, but as far as historical tools and instruments, the solemn leaping covenant as a Biblical way to promote unity uh, within Christ Church. And I'll stop there uh, this evening. So let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless uh, uh, what has been taught. Pray that, uh, again, it has gone forth uh, by the, His Spirit and is agreeable to His Word. Heavenly Father, we do pray that Thou would, would take Thy truth, thy, thy Word, that, Lord, we would be led by Thy Spirit to embrace it and, and to practice it, conform our lives unto it. And we do pray for the unity of Christ's church, the visible unity, even as Jesus did we pray father that thou would help us to take this seriously that uh, we would understand and that others who look at us would understand though this is a this is not a popular position to hold uh, in light of what we observe in the church today nevertheless help us our lord uh, to adhere to and to be faithful Uh, to what Thou hast taught us in Thy Word, and that which has been given to us uh, in history, which is agreeable to Thy Word. Thank Thee, Lord, for for Thy truth, and uh, pray that Thou would minister unto us that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.